Morning, everyone. It's great to be with you this morning. You'll have uh, Pastor Andrew, the boss, back next week, but this morning, I apologize, he's got me for a week. Uh, let me start by asking you, have you ever done something uh, in life where it makes complete and total sense in your mind, but to everyone watching on, they look at you as if, what on earth are you doing? Maybe you've got a friend that is like this. On Blue Moose, a short-term mission trip I went on in the middle of the year, um, my other main leader, Michelle, sent one of our team members, uh, one of our co-leaders, to go and get some supplies from Costco. Um, and she later got a phone call and relayed to me that, hey, um, this person that we sent to get everything we need freaked out, got overwhelmed, got nothing that we needed and walked out just with a stack of donuts which were not on the list at all. Uh, as I looked at Michelle, she responded to me, that's just Millie, it'll make sense once you meet her. Uh, and it did, it made complete, oh there's Amy, you know Millie, I shouldn't have used her name, but you can back me up in this. Uh, she was such an amazing personality to have on team but was constantly doing things that made sense to her, but not really to many others of us. Maybe you've got a friend like that. Maybe you, at times, are the person that does things that don't make sense to others. I know Amanda and my girls look at me constantly as if, Paul, what on earth are you doing? Well, it turns out I'm not the only one who doesn't make sense some of the time, because that's actually the exact scenario that we encounter in our passage this morning. We're about to meet a woman who does something that makes perfect sense to her, that makes perfect sense in her mind, but her actions lead to the majority of people questioning what on earth are you doing? So let me pray and then we'll find out exactly what this lady's doing and whether her actions make any sense at all. Let me pray. Oh God, thank you so much for who you are and all you've done for us. Thank you that we can freely gather here this morning and open your word and Lord we just pray expectantly that you through your Holy Spirit reveal to us the things that you want not just to lay on our minds and on our hearts this morning but the things you want us to put into action as well. Amen. Before we get to the seemingly crazy lady, uh, the opening verses of chapter 26 in Matthew's gospel set the scene and give us some actual context for what she is about to do. So if you have your Bibles, we'd love you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 26 and we'll start with the first five verses. Matthew 26, 1 to 5, the plot to kill Jesus. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast of the Passover, lest there be an uproar among the people. Here we have Jesus with what is his last prediction of his incoming death before it occurs. And this time's also unique because he doesn't just predict in general, but he gets more specific this time and names the Passover as the time when his death is going to be put into motion. 
Now, this is significant because Passover is the Jewish festival where they come together to celebrate their freedom from Egyptian slavery. But also, if you remember the plagues, there was a specific one where the angel of death passed over Egypt and it killed the firstborn son of every household other than God's people who followed his commands. God had told his people at that time to take a one-year-old lamb or goat that had no defects on it and to sacrifice it. The family were then able to eat the meat, but the blood was to be put on the doorposts of their household. And this meant that when the angel of death came, he saw the blood that covered the doorposts and he passed over their home rather than entering it and killing the firstborn inside. The blood of the sacrificial lamb saved the Israelite firstborn sons at this time from earthly death. And now we have Jesus saying that on this day, at this time of Passover, at this celebration, this is when he is going to die. This is Jesus voluntarily offering himself up, not just as a sacrificial lamb, but as the ultimate, the perfect sacrificial lamb. While the lamb's blood saved the Israelite firstborn sons from earthly death, Jesus' blood saves all of humanity, including you and me, from eternal death. And he offers himself up voluntarily. Jesus' death was something that God was very much in control of every step of the way. And we even see this with how it goes down. The religious leaders, as we've seen, they they plot. Um, Now, Matthew puts them plotting here, not because they only started to plot after Christ gave this last prediction. Um, Resistance against Christ is well and truly ramped up. But Matthew puts it here to show us, hey, Humans can plot what they will, but God is the one in control. Matthew places it here to show us God's sovereignty. So the religious leaders plot. But if Jesus is going to die, God is the one who is firmly in control of how and when it will happen. The Jewish leaders, well, they plot. They want to kill him by stealth. They don't want a public spectacle. And they decide that they're not going to arrest him over the Passover because they're scared of causing an uproar. Uh, Jerusalem over the Passover feast time would increase its population around fivefold. And they knew that just a spark in amongst this religious celebration of people that are celebrating God and looking for an oncoming Messiah, uh, that a spark could set off a fire. So they decide, no, we want to kill him by stealth. We are not going to touch him through Passover. But they're not the ones in control. God is firmly in control, and therefore it's not God's plans that have to change. As we'll soon see, it is the leader's plans that have to change. Let's keep going. Verses 6 through to 13. Jesus anointed at Bethany. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, A woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive perfume, and she poured it on his head and reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. 
But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this perfume on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So here's the seemingly, at least, crazy lady. And she has done something that the majority of the people are looking at as if, what on earth are you doing? Jesus and his disciples are at Bethany and they're eating at Simon's house. Um, as lepers were classed as unclean and expected to isolate themselves from the rest of the world, we, without being explicitly told, assume Simon is someone who Jesus has healed. Um, and now they're there. They're in his house and they're having dinner. And while they're having dinner, reclining at the table, a, a woman comes in and anoints him with perfume. Now, this woman in John's gospel is identified as Mary, likely the sister of Martha and the sister of Lazarus. And she approaches Jesus with this alabaster jar full of extremely expensive perfume and begins to anoint him. Meanwhile, the disciples look on in complete disbelief as it makes no sense to them at all. And they simply tell her off for letting such an expensive item go to waste. Now, in Mark 14 and John 12, we're told that this perfume jar used here was worth around 300 denarii. Now, to put that into perspective, at the feeding of the 5,000, as always, that's 5,000 men, there's probably 10 or 12,000, including women and children, but at the feeding of the 5,000, the disciple Philip says, Lord, we need 200 denarii to feed all these people. Jar of perfume worth 300 feed 12,000 people for 200. Uh, So what Mary has is absolutely the, I don't know my perfume brand, Gucci, it's not Rexona, I know that. Uh, She has the it and a bit of perfume going on here and it's worth more than a whole year's wages. And And to the disciples, by pouring it on Jesus, she's completely wasted it. So they become angry and say that, hey, we we could have sold that and used all of its proceeds to help so many poor people. To the majority around this scenario, Mary looks like a crazy lady and that what she does is completely senseless. But she doesn't look this way to the one that actually matters. To Jesus, Mary has not wasted anything and her actions were not crazy. They were beautiful. You see, Mary got it. I I personally, my take is that Mary didn't have some amazing insight into what was coming in Christ's death and therefore her anointing him as Jesus says, hey, she's preparing me for burial. I personally don't think, I think that's a coincidence, not that she knew but I do believe that Mary had complete tunnel vision to worship her Lord. You see, Mary got it. Mary knew that there was something about Jesus and she was willing to risk her embarrassment, her reputation, and to happily give up the most precious possession she has in an act of truly worshipping Jesus. She gets it. And this stays with her character. Mary, the sister of Martha, is found three times in the Gospels. And in each time we find her, 
She's at Jesus' feet, if you will, in worshipful, humble submission to him. In Luke 10, Mary sits at Jesus' feet and is blessed by the teaching and explanation of the word of God. In John 11, she comes to Jesus' feet in complete sorrow and distress as her brother Lazarus has just passed away. And here she worships at Jesus' feet as she anoints him with this perfume. So while she might have looked ridiculous to the others at the time, it's they who were mistaken, not Mary. Mary gets it. She gets what's going on here. Mary was the one who knew what was going on and she knew that the most important place that she just had to be at was at Jesus' feet and she had tunnel vision to get there regardless of how she might have looked to anyone else around. At Jesus' feet, Mary found blessing and wisdom. At the feet of Jesus, Mary found a place to lay her burdens down. And at the feet of Jesus, she finds a place to truly worship her Lord. Mary got it. And she knew that she just had to be at the feet of Jesus And that sacrificing her greatest, most expensive possession in humble worship to him was a completely fitting thing to do. To the rest of the world, her actions seemed completely foolish, but she didn't care. She knew exactly where she needed to be, and she got herself there. She got it. So let me encourage and challenge you this morning that... At the feet of Jesus, like Mary, you will find wisdom and blessing. At the feet of Jesus, you will find a place to lay your burdens down, whatever they might be. And when you're truly sitting at the feet of Jesus, you will not be able to help but to be drawn into pure worship of the King of the universe who loves you immensely. So I encourage you that as Christians, we are called to come and place ourselves at the feet of Jesus. But here's the thing, right? Often to do just that, the rest of the world might look at our actions as being completely foolish. The rest of the world often can look at our tithing, our giving of money or resources or our time to the church and think that we're being completely wasteful. To the world, we who draw near to the feet of Jesus are often viewed as the crazy people who make no sense. But my question to you is, how much does this matter to you? My question is not whether this should matter. We know it shouldn't. But reality is, it's a challenge for us at times. So how much does how other people perceive you matter to you? How much do you care about potentially looking like the crazy person to the world if it means being right where you need to be with Jesus Christ. Mary didn't care how she looked to the others in the room. She had a choice to either save face and please mankind or to worship her Lord in the way she knew she should. And for Mary, it seems like the decision was pretty easy. She clearly cared more about what Jesus thought of her than of anyone else. And while at times this can be a challenge for us, we don't want to be seen as crazy. The reality is we care what people think of us a lot more than what we should. Our challenge is that our attitude needs to be like Mary's here because she's the one that gets it and she's got her priorities straight. 
In one sense, the disciples were being completely logical as they considered just how many poor people could have been helped by the sale of the perfume. But they missed the point. They didn't get it. Whereas Mary understood that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was right in front of them and that there was no greater use of that perfume than to give it to him in an act of worship. That is why Jesus affirms her faithfulness just like he will affirm yours and mine any time we draw near to his feet. And then our passage closes with verses 14 to 16. Judas to betray Jesus. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. To close our message this morning, we we bookend Jesus' anointing by Mary with another reminder of his sovereignty and an interesting comparison. The religious rulers decided that Passover was not when they were going to arrest Jesus. But after receiving an opportunity from Judas that was just too good to pass up, their plans change. God's plans don't change. Everything happens exactly how Jesus said that it will. God is always in control. And here we also see a stark contrast between Judas and Mary, who we just looked at. Mary has just anointed Jesus with a jar of perfume worth over a year's wages. Judas, on the other hand, one of Jesus' supposed closest friends, has just sold to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver is the extremely meager fee that was paid to an owner of a slave who had accidentally been gored in a field. 30 pieces of silver is worth less than four months' wages. To Mary, Jesus was her king. To Judas and the officials, Jesus was but a useless slave to be murdered. Mary was considered as being wasteful in her worship of Jesus. But in the end, it's she that gets it. It's Mary who clearly shows that if we are not, from a human perspective, wasteful at times in our worship of Jesus, that we will instead... Waste our lives, waste our time, waste our opportunities, and maybe even our souls, as Judas did. To seemingly waste our lives for Christ here on earth is the only way to gain our lives for all eternity. So the band can come up, please. So my prayer simply is through this week, let's just lay everything aside. And it's easier said than done. Let's care not how we're perceived by the world around, but take on Mary's attitude and know where we need to be and do whatever it takes to get there. Let's this week, my prayer is that each one of us will come and be at the feet of Jesus, regardless of how we look. Let me pray. Oh God, thank you so much for who you are and all you've graciously done for us. Thank you so much that you are the amazing, powerful, sovereign king of the universe and yet 
You love us, yet your throne is not unreachable. You welcome your sons and daughters. You, you love us coming to your feet. There, you will teach us and bless us with wisdom. There, you give us a place to lay our burdens down no matter what they are. And it's at your feet that we can truly worship you. God, through this week, may we take on the attitude of Mary and not that of the disciples. May we just have tunnel vision to get where we need to be with you and care more about what you think of us than what anyone else happens to. Amen. Thanks, Christine. Amen. Thank you, Paul. Let's stand as we sing.